Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Hardy. Sean O'Reilly. Damon Walsh. And Brandon Thompson. And today we'll be discussing the divinity of Christ. Eamon, start us off. Uh, I would love to, Alex. Um, first, in the introduction topic, we are talking about how Jesus has a hypostatic union. What is, exactly is yeah, that? Yeah, what is Eamon? that, Eamon? Yeah, tell us what that is. Uh, yeah, I would love to. Um, a, it's a union, a metaphysical union, which two natures are united in one person. Yeah, and this is, I think this is the only way we can accurately describe Jesus, because, you know, he has two distinct natures, but in only one person, fully God, fully man. And today we're focusing on this divinity. Right, and we've actually read about this in Theology for Beginners, written by Sheed. More specifically, we read about how he talks about in understanding what Christ is and how it is essential to understand what he does. I actually have a, a quote from there that I'd like to share, because I was reading it the other day, of course. Oh. <laughs> and uh, he became man uh, He who from eternity possessed the divine nature did at some point of time take to himself and make his own a human, human nature, a body conceived of a woman, a soul, specially created by God as our soul were. Because Christ our Lord uniquely had two natures, he could give two answers to the question what are you so i think what that's saying is that nature decides what a person is and jesus has two of them however today we're obviously focusing on his divinity and since jesus is divine he comes into this world as a man there's obviously going to be overlap between the two <clears throat> topics of his divinity and his humanity and i think that the catechism is the only place you could look to actually describe this you want to read that quote from uh 464, Amen? Uh, yes, I would love to, Sean. Um, so the quote uh, first starts off how the unique and altogether singular event, the incarnation of the Son of God, does not mean that Jesus Christ is part God and part man, nor does it imply that he is the result of a confused mixture of the divine and the human. He became truly man while remaining truly God. Jesus Christ is the true God and true man. What do you think that really means? Anyone actually? Hardy? Um, I think Alex. it means that Jesus is God. <laughs> Alright, now going off of that, obviously Jesus is God, but God comes in this world, so what does it even mean that God comes in this world? Well, I think there's a little word that we know called incarnation. Yes. And Very good. once again, there's a catechism that discusses this further. Sean, you want to read that, that one? Sean. So from uh, CCC 461, taking up St. John's expression, the word became flesh. The church calls incarnation the fact that the Son of God assumed a human nature into, in order to accomplish our salvation in it. In a hymn cited by St. Paul, the church signs the mystery of the incarnation. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count e equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So I think, so this obviously is just saying that Jesus came into this world to save us from our own sin. So 
he comes in this world and his divinity is expressed in a number of ways. You wanna go into this a little further, Amy? Uh yes, sure. Um people worship Jesus as God over and over again. And as you see throughout the book of Matthew, uh Matthew fourteen thirty three, those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And we see people worshiping Jesus as God countless times and throughout the Bible. And, uh, Brendan, would you like to say why this is important? Well, I think it shows that the fact that Jesus didn't stop them is the most important factor because it shows his divinity. And um, a thing I'd also like to talk upon uh, is... Jesus and his miracles. And I think Hardy has some things you'd like to say about that. Yeah, we um, <clears throat> we see his miracles being performed more specifically at uh, the wedding of Cana, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, healing lepers, and curing the blind. Uh, I want to focus more on the wedding at Cana from John chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it came from, the head waiter had called the bridge room and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when the people have drunk freely, an inferior one, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs in Cana, in Galilee, and so revealed his glory. And his disciples began to believe in him. So, you know, you wonder why Jesus even did these miracles. But, you know, it's obviously showing his divinity. But it's also, as the Catechism says, to strengthen our faith in the one who does his father works, which is Jesus. And his miracles help people bear witness in that he is the son of God. So these miracles help show his divinity by helping people to believe in him. So I think the third thing that Jesus does on earth that shows his divinity is obviously the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. And I think Jesus' resurrection is just the most important aspect of not only his divine actions on earth, but arguably the most important aspect of the Catholic faith, because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all the Catholic Church's teachings are pretty much in vain, because it's the ultimate confirmation of all of Christ's works and teachings. More importantly, it gives us divinity proof of his divinity. And, you know, this is written about in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. So, Amen? Uh, yeah, so, um, Jesus came into the world, and however many people and us, if we look at the subject of God coming into the world on a broader scale, this discussion becomes much more interesting. And I think... Our friend, Dan Fatsu, has more to say on this. All right, thanks, Sean. So, the New Testament and the Old Testament are both very two different interpretations of God. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, God comes into the world from a distance, like the burning bush, the burning pillar, and it's a lot of prophets. And this type of interaction between God and, like, the rest of our race is uh, pretty, like, antagonistic, you could say. Like, he's seen as harsh and brutal and unkind. And we really see the wrath of the God in the Old Testament in a multitude of ways. Like, one example that I can call to is, like, the Old Testament when um, he flooded the world. Like, that's an example that we see a lot of um, 
name it things. But the New Testament, God comes in the world in the most direct way possible. Jesus, he comes in the form of a man, and God literally enters our world. This type of interaction shows like a God who's loving and merciful. Like he lets um he lets himself well not himself but like pretty much himself and Jesus he lets himself be tortured, um, killed, and all of that. And he doesn't there's no repercussions on the human race. He does it to save us, and he shows how he values us and cares about us. And what do you guys think? Well, which one do you find more interesting? I think the New Testament to me is more interesting because you know God's literally in our world like. There's nothing closer than actually entering our world and actually interacting with his creation. You know, the Old Testament's from a distance. Like, although God was interacting, there was, like, always some sort of, like, barrier between the two. But with Jesus, there's nothing between Jesus and the people he's preaching to and healing. And Yeah. The thing I find interesting about it is uh, the difference between the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's more, like, brutal, obviously, in the way he acts compared to the New Testament, where it's more of trying to, like, save us from our sins and not so much as punishing us for it. Yeah, personally, um, I find the Old Testament more interesting. Um, Obviously, from a historic standpoint, I kind of like reading about that kind of stuff, but it's it it's pretty interesting seeing how um, everything in the Old Testament almost seems like a test um, before Jesus comes. And although God <clears throat> literally isn't on earth, you still see him on earth through different types of, of symbols and everything when he didn't even have to be a part of it. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I do agree with uh, Hardy, because um, if you really look at it, every instance in the Old Testament, like Noah's Ark or Burning Bush and all that, and the famines and like the plagues and all that stuff, um, it's really like, it's always been like God like trying to see like what we would do, and then usually react poorly, so we would be met with consequences. And I don't think that necessarily lets up in the New Testament, I just think we get to see a whole new like side of God, you know. So I don't think we can, like, God is harsh and brutal, and we should fear God. But I think, like, jumping into our next topic, just topic just a little bit, I think as we when you go on in the Bible, you start to see people fear God less and less, which isn't a very good thing, but it inevitably happened. Well, I don't think we should necessarily fear God. I don't think that's necessarily what he would want for us. Not fear God isn't, like, be completely scared, but we shouldn't be, like, but like a lot of people like respect, respect yeah. God. Sorry, fear God's a little, little um harsh. But like, yeah, respect God. Like a lot of people, and like in the, um, in the New Testament, for example, like when God, uh, Jesus was getting persecuted, like people were like, oh, they didn't believe him. They're like, we don't really care. Like, you show us something, then like, I don't think, and they didn't really know. So it was like you can't really blame them. But like a lot of attitudes seem like they shifted as you go on in the Bible. I think yeah, beyond that, like beyond Catholicism, that like. Back then, like, not even just the Old Testament, just, like, what, like, 100 years ago, everybody had some sort of religious affiliation, like, whether it be, like, I don't know, Islam or some sort of Christianity, but everyone had their own God, so I think, like, now, going towards the New Testament, and even today, like, we see, like, this less and less, like, the secularization of our society, and I think it goes back to Dan's point, like, People don't fear and respect God like like they used to. Right. 
And um, I remember reading about in, in uh, Sheed's book about um, maybe it's not fearing God, but at a more general sense, he wants us just to form a relationship with him. And he wants to form a relationship with us because the best way to um, be better with our faith is to have a full understanding of God. It helps us worship him better and, and interact with him in a more wholesome way. Yeah. Um, and pretty much relating to, we were already talking about this, but just jumping in our next topic, how do you guys think the people's perception of God and this dominion shifted through time? Like not focusing on the old and new Testament this time, but just like, like right now, like what do you really see? I think, uh, like I said, like how secular things are now, like, you know, people going to church on Sundays, like at an all time low probably. And like, this just shows that people aren't as quick to recognize God and his divinity. So I think today people need to start trying to form that relationship with God that people used to have. Yeah. I think it also, um, it's a, a lot to do with our society. Like, the place we live in, at least, like in America, no one's going to be like religion and like the state aren't really like intertwined. But back then, like religion was pretty much like mm-hmm. part of the government. So like you get stoned for not like following God, blah blah blah, all this, all this type of stuff. So now everyone's really like lax, and that's a good thing. Everyone should be relaxed and should do what they want. But I feel like a lot there's a lot of comfortable Christians, you know, like they don't go to church every week like they should. It's just like <laughs> Easter, Christmas, and then. Well, I kind of think it's not good that religion's not tied in with state because you shouldn't be forced into a relationship with God. You should want to have one and not have it as like a consequence if you don't have a close relationship. Yeah, I agree. I just think I think we should be better about it. Like it's a it's a real like free will thing, you know. People, like, I don't think like, it, we should be forced, as you said. Yeah, yeah, we should be more aware of that we're not going to mass as much and be more aware that we should be having a close relationship with God. Yeah, especially like what you're saying, Sean, that we're kind of at like an all-time low. Um, we, I think we live in a world of, of like just self-consciousness and, and wanting to fit in. And I think mm-hmm. especially nowadays with people being fairly sensitive about certain subjects and the um, the controversies within the church, people don't think it's cool or or appropriate to be um associated with the catholic church at yeah. times when it's not it, it that those types of controversy shouldn't even be associated with the faith because those are just individuals yeah that's a good point i think like yeah people are just so self-conscious about what others think of them i think that goes into them not wanting to you know show their religious side because like alex said that's not cool in our society today so Another thing we can talk about is, like, what do you think God, does God show his divinity more in the Old Testament, where he's coming from a distance, or is his divinity show more in, like, the New Testament, where Jesus is actually in the world? It's hard one. Personally, I don't think, I think it's pretty equal. I just think it's in different ways. Because, like, even if he's not, like, even if it's from a distance, like, they all knew, like, who it was or, like, why, when something happened. And it was a pretty, it was to a pretty, like, big effect. Like the like the ark was a huge event, and stuff like that. And even in the New Testament, when you literally had him here, it was also very huge. Like his impact was always felt to a very like huge extent. I just think it was done a different way. I don't think I could really say like one had more than the other. 
I think the New Testament more shows it because people more like need a uh, something they can like see and somewhat relate to. So him coming down as Jesus brought more of a relationship to followers and a more meaningful relationship as well. Yeah, I agree. That's like going back to the point like that the catechism made about like miracles that Jesus only did them so people could like understand that he is God and like they could more quickly recognize his divinity and they would more quickly worship him. So yeah, I agree with you the point. Yeah, I'm with Brandon on this. Um, that I think there's there's no better way to show your power than being with your followers on earth. So I think that does it. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Sean, Allie, Dan, and Brandon. Amen. <laughs> Signing off. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mr. Price.